Good evening. You're so quiet tonight. Feels beautiful. So let's just take a moment to um, breathe. To just take a deep breath in. Feel the refreshing nature of that in-breath and take a long breath out. Letting go of the memories of the day, of the week, of the hour, of the past. And on the next in-breath, bringing in the present moment. Noticing that you are sitting here in this place now. And letting go again of all of the agitations of the mind that have come with the day. And noticing which ones are particularly hard to let go of. And just feel the sweetness of the stillness of the room. Even with some movement, there is a certain stillness that has come to the room and see if you can infuse your own body, mind and heart with that stillness. And then opening your eyes, looking around, <coughs> noticing all of the fellow beings who are here supporting your practice and whose practice you are supporting. And say hello. As you know, on the nights that I'm here, instead of a Dharma talk, we create a Dharma talk together. And uh, so your questions or your comments are uh, the kind of seed for our discussing Dharma. And no question is too simple or too uh, primary um, or too anything. So please, if you have a question that you'd like to ask, there, it's very welcome. My question is about uh, effort mm -hmm. in uh, the practice. Uh, because about two months ago, after hearing something from a teacher at NYI, my practice changed a bit and uh, I'm a bit more relaxed about it. Mm. When I come back to awareness, after my mind has been wandering, there's less heaviness. I don't like say to myself, I'm back. Mm. Both when I'm, when I'm sitting and when I'm doing meditation off the cushion. Uh, but now I don't know if uh, I'm not putting in enough effort and I'm being a bit lazy. Yeah, it's uh, a bit confusing. Mm. What do you think? Uh, probably a bit of both. <laughs> mm. I've been really reflecting on this lately, how we, um, we tend... I, I don't know if it's because we live in this Western culture or... Um, or because it's just human, I don't know. 
but I've been noticing how we we live. We tr- we are we're always try we're always living, or at least perceiving ourselves as living, at polar extremes of everything. So we're either thinking we're too lazy, or we're too relaxed, or we're too uh, energetic, or we're too this, or we're too that. And between the pol- the two opposing poles, there's always a vast middle, mostly in which most of us live, and yet. For some reason, we perceive ourselves as being too something, right? So I wonder if, if this is part of your trajectory and part of your journey of um, uh, disentangling that feeling of too much effort or too much pushing or too much of anything, that it, not only is it a part of um, shifting how your effort is made, but also shifting how you perceive it. Because the mind and the body are always working together. And you know the, you, you know the, the uh, verse from the Dhammapada that says, uh, mind precedes all things, right? So, so the mind is making up these stories about how we're too much this or we're too little that or you know we're we're somehow at some polar end when in fact we're really in this vast beautiful field of middle and what it would be like to begin to see yourself in that way and allow your energy to follow that uh, seeing. To, do you understand what I mean? So that you're um, not making up a story about whether you're too much or too little, but really feeling yourself in the middle of effort, of um, energy, of everything. You know, we call this the middle way, right? And yet we're always at those ends. So what would it be like to actually be in the middle and know yourself to be in the middle? And so part of that would be when you feel as if things are really getting slack, to move the energy a little bit. And when you feel as if there's too much trying and too much efforting, to settle back and then somehow you'll find the middle rather than perceiving yourself as being permanently this or that because life is not like that life is not we're not we're not frozen in a particular state we're always moving always shifting always changing whether we know it or not so if you're seeing yourself as a moment-to-moment process, then any question of um, too much or too little kind of disappears, it dissipates. So you're not really agitating the mind with this um, kind of critical review constantly of whether I'm too much or too little. Right?
so that it, it you see it as movement rather so you see it as stages rather than states because states are static stages are fluid they flow so um would you have any tips on raising the energy? I think uh, <laughs> I'm being a bit too slack, so I can experiment. Well, you know how to raise your energy, don't you? What, so what does it take to raise energy? Maybe I can do some reading, some Dhamma talk to motivate myself to remind myself more. So, I don't know. so do you... Do, how, how often do you sit? Uh, twice a day. How, for how long? Uh, 20 minutes each time. Do you do, you do any walking meditation? Uh, not formally, but when I'm out on the streets, uh, I do remind myself to come back. Okay, so reminding yourself to come back is different than doing walking meditation. When you're out, you know, so walking meditation means walking from moment with every step knowing the lifting of the, the foot the moving of the foot and the placing of the foot the lifting of the foot the moving of the foot and the placing of the foot and it's not conceptual it's the actual sensations of the foot touching the, touching the earth lifting feeling the air moving, feeling the movement, and placing, feeling the solidity of the earth. Lifting, moving, and placing. And that kind of movement, when if the body feels sluggish or the mind feels sluggish, that kind of movement lifts the energy. Right? So that's why we recommend movement as well as sitting meditation. And moving meditation also bridges us into life so that we don't lose our mindfulness when we're in motion. If we train the mind in walking, then when we're actually going about our daily life and moving, the mind is already trained to be present, to know from moment to moment exactly what is happening. We were, uh, as a, speaking of my husband, we were talking today about being in a situation, for instance, where, say you're in the doctor's office, right? And it's taking too long to see the doctor because there are all these other, or in your mind, you perceive, oh, this is, I don't want to wait for, you know, however many minutes. What would happen if instead of engaging that thought, we moved into just seeing the office, seeing the people in the office, hearing the sounds of the people in the office, or the, the sounds of machines or phones ringing or whatever they are. So we're seeing, we're hearing, we're smelling. What does it smell like here? Right? And we're engaging all of the senses. When we do that, the, the mind itself becomes stimulated. So the energy moves up. So if we're actually practicing 
mindfulness and not practicing sitting here with the mind moving, right? But we're actually paying attention to the mind moving and we're paying attention to the sensations in the body and the thoughts that are arising in the mind and the feelings in the heart. If we're actually paying attention, paying attention, loving, kind awareness in every moment, the energy will be there. It falls away when we move into that ooze of just letting the mind run. Right? Thank you very much. I'll, I'll try all that. Okay, yes. let me know next time I see you how it goes. I've been reading a book by Larry Rosenberg about, and he speaks just of this, he says... About if, what? About the engagement, how to engage. He's saying is it's as if you were watching a basketball game and the commentator is making a comment about blah, this is that, and that has happened. This, he's telling a story of what's going on, so you're listening to him but not really noticing the action. And it's the same as what you're talking about in life. If we have, we have the commentator going on all of the time, the, the inner voice, blah, 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 and we lose track of what's actually happening in this present moment. So like what you're saying, the more that we can let the voice go and be present, that we can actually live life rather than live in the commentator. Yeah, and we're constantly, you know, and the con commentator is always shouting in your head, right? So it's, it, it sounds, it can sometimes seem as if it should be easier than it is, but it shouldn't. It's just as easy or as difficult as it is. You know, the idea of letting go of the commentator is really wonderful, but that may not match our reality, where the commentator is shouting at us, right? And so we're, we're paying attention as well as we can, and you know, maybe an in and out thing where, you know, we pay attention, we see the, the bath, we see the game, and then we hear the commentator. That's okay too, as long as we're noticing that the commentator is commenting, right? So we're, we're, we're always paying attention to whatever is true, even if it's the commentator. This talk about the commentator and realize what the commentator is saying, I haven't ever heard this at um, any of the sittings and questions, but sometimes for me, when I realize that, dial that, that chatter is going on, I notice a lot of irony in what I'm recognizing. And sometimes when I start seeing the irony, I find more things amusing. And so I, my mind starts, instead of a sitting being very dour, it starts to almost become like a comedy thing because I'm recognizing the irony and things that are funny in responding to the very commentary that's going on. So I, I've, I've always heard, you know, we talk about the difficulties, but I've never heard anyone ask the question about noticing the, the humor and sometimes I have to hold back the laughter. I haven't always been successful at that, but... So, you know, it, do, it doesn't matter what the object is. It doesn't matter what the object of our um, awareness is. The, the, the object is not the point. So, because eventually, if we're really paying attention what starts to appear 
is the nature of that awareness that is aware. And what it is aware of is not really, we don't, we don't, it doesn't really matter to us whether we're aware of humor or we're aware of sadness. Right? Because eventually, as things get stripped away, or as the mind settles down, what we, what we are left with is the nature of mind, the nature of awareness. So we can use, and, and that, that awareness can use any object, whatever is arising. And you may notice even that you go from humor to sadness, or from joy to tears. And you can stay with it. You can stay with everything that's arising, right? And um, it's lovely to see the humor of, of things, right? But it's not really the point when we're practicing, right? We, we want to have a sense of humor in life. <laughs> it's indispensable. But when we're practicing, it's like, what do we find funny? You know, what, what's really humorous? How, and and what, what appeared before that arose? And, and, what, and how is the body reacting to it? And what, is, what story is the mind giving us? And, you know, how does that connect to the whole flow of being? So that we're, we're diving, you know, awareness is diving below the waves. You know, so the waves can be agitated or they can be kind of, you know, bobbing along. When we dive down in mindfulness or in awareness, we dive down below those waves, there's a kind of stillness that happens, a kind of um, peace below the, you know, the the chop-chop of the waves. So that, uh, yes, we start with noticing the waves, and eventually, we're so here, we're so present, that a kind of stillness arrives, it appears. And, and we know the actual nature of the ocean, rather than being tossed about by the, by the waves. You know, you spoke about a couple things, a couple strands. Uh, you're talking about too, too much, too little. So there was too much, too little, too, too forced, too back. So, you know, and I'm, I suppose I've been working with that in a big way. The, uh, uh, like, like manic depression is, is uh, uh, too much, too little. Too, too, too high, too low. Polar. Polar, yeah, bipolar, let's say. Um, and um, there's, a physi- there's an emotional component there is a physiological p- component. There's a biochemical component. There are all these levels and things happening. And what you spoke about before, too, is this frozen, uh, you know, coming out of a frozen, you know, state. And you know, trauma is uh, um, causes a kind of uh, um, frozenness. Under trauma is all these um, feelings, things that have been blocked, shall we say, and. And um, 
Interestingly enough, I've been uh, 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 working with regulating with some physical substances. One is cacao. Anyone suffering from depression can use raw cacao powder. I recommend it. And then the other end has been magnesium. So I notice if I get a little bit too much, I take some magnesium, I get a little bit to this, I take a little bit. And it's a kind of noticing and a regulation. Uh, and the meditation practice, along with everything else, which has been incredible, really, for me, um, building a ground of like a kind of pillar, or I don't know what you want to call it, but I've never been serious about meditation like I have over the last year. And uh, You need to put your... Oh, sorry. It's been an incredible uh, thing to develop this kind of... Um, Is there a question there? I don't know. It's something just throwing out from what you had a number of the things. The frozenness, the too much, too little, the um, trauma, which comes to me, uh, feelings that are under the trauma, how meditation interacts with all that. So mm -hmm. I'm just throwing it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, meditation is not a cure-all for everything, first of all. Um, it has specific um, specific qualities and specific ways in which it, it is of deep and profound transformative um, effect. However, there are a lot of different ways in which um, meditative um, uh, strategies can be used, but that don't necessarily mean meditation itself. So there are a lot of trauma um, uh, you know, I'm losing the word trauma um, therapies that incorporate mindful or contemplative ways but usually um, if there is trauma that is deeply embedded, it really does need some attention, probably from uh, a therapeutic, a more therapeutic approach. Although meditation can be of help, sometimes it needs to be in in uh, conjunction with other other approaches. Yep, they they can all help each other very well. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Abe. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I've been listening to some uh, readings on the Eightfold Path, and it talks about uh, one of the right concentration is one of the features, uh, right mindfulness and right concentration. And I don't know whether I'm sure of the distinction, because for instance, here, I am mindful of the breath as I'm sitting here, but it can't be said that I'm concentrating on the breath, can it? I mean, what, where is, what is right concentration as opposed to, let's say, right mindfulness? Okay. Yeah, so um, both of those obviously are aspects of meditation, right? So if you concentrate on the breath, or, sorry, if you meditate on the breath, um, what happens to the mind? Are, are you so first of all, tell me how you con how you focus on the breath. When I'm here or in, in a sitting, I 
I am um, have an awareness of where the breath comes in in the nose or the rising and falling of the stomach. But I don't think that's concentrating on the breath, is it? Actually, it is. <laughs> so concentration is uh, finding one object and paying attention to that one object as, um, in as unbroken a stream as you possibly can, okay? Is the breath an object? The breath is, and any, any um, yeah. So whatever you're paying attention to is an object of your attention, right? So if you're paying attention to the in and out of the breath, for instance, you're paying attention at the nostrils, your, your, uh, your attention is right here, right at the kind of upper lip, right between the two nostrils, yes? And you notice that the air brushes past the nose, brushes past the lip, and enters the nostril, brushes these little follicles in the nose. There's a sensation that happens when it brushes against the upper lip. There's a sensation that happens when it gets into the nostril and brushes against the follicles. And then there's a pause. And we notice that pause and what that feels like. And maybe an itch comes up, or maybe um, there's stillness or quiet. And the, and the pause, and, or maybe sensations in the body. Or maybe a thought arises. Something happens in that pause. And then the, the breath goes out and you, you feel it go, you feel the sensations of the breath moving out of the nostrils, over the upper lip, and then there's a pause again, right? In order to do that, the mind begins to settle down. If we really do that as clearly and as uh, diligently as we possibly can. It's not that you're going to, in the beginning, have perfect concentration, but eventually, if you really keep the, the attention on that one object, just this movement of breath in and out, in and out, in and out, have you ever noticed the mind settles down and everything else falls away? That's concentration. It's like, and it's not magic. So if you're reading a book, right? Have you ever had the experience where you're reading a book and you're so absorbed in the book that somebody comes in the room and you didn't even know they were in the room? Have you ever had that experience? So. Yeah? Yeah. I, I guess so. Yeah. And what it is is that the mind has gathered all of its energy and has pointed its attention towards this one object, the words on the page, right? Or in our case, this movement of breath in and out of the nostril, or similarly if it's at the belly and the rising and you feel the expansion of the belly and the way in which it gets really hard as it opens and fills and then how it softens and begins to deflate as the um, as the the air as the out breath 
happens, the journey of the outbreath. And if we actually pay attention in that way, in that really um, precise and even way, the mind settles down into concentration just in the same way that it does when we're focused on, do you play an instrument? If you, have you, if you play an instrument, you know how when you start to really match the music to, the, to how your hands, I play the piano, so how the hands go across the, the, the keys, or if you play a, a flute or whatever, just you're paying attention so precisely because you have to that the mind settles into the object, it becomes absorbed in the object. That's concentration. Mindfulness is the ability to take that, con- that uh, concentration of mind and allow the object to, to become a more open field of awareness in which we're seeing everything that's happening. All, from moment to moment to moment, we're seeing how things arise and pass away. They arise and they pass away. And the mind, because it's concentrated, is able to take that movement as its object and not lose it. If the mind is not concentrated, it's a little bit more difficult for the mind to actually stay with the object of movement. So this open awareness, where we're not paying attention to anything in particular, other than what is arising in this moment. Whatever is calling our attention in the, in the moment is what we're paying attention to. That's mindfulness. And we're doing it in the present moment without any judgment or preference for what is arising. So if an itch is arising in our body, for mindfulness, that's the very same thing as a, as a wonderful tingling of the hands or feet. So it's an itch, or it's a tingling, or it's pressure, or it's hardness, or it's softness, or it's fluidity, or it's vibration, it, as it's coming and going. And what happens, so I'll give you a little esoteric secret, what begins to happen when we pay attention in that uh, particular way everything falls away and all there is is mind and we begin to understand that that's all there is in this life it's just one big mind it's the secret (laughs) right so that concentration flows we, we take up the object an object because the mind is scattered so in the beginning, it's very difficult to even be mindful, right? Because the mind is pinging and it's making comments and it's having its preferences and it wants it to be this way and it shouldn't be that way and what are they doing? And we're criticizing and we're evaluating and we're judging and we're doing all of that. And so we lose and, and we're listening to the mind as it's doing all of that. So we lose what's actually happening. It's like being in the doctor's office again, right? And being so annoyed that you're not being seen 
that you don't even know that you're alive right here in this moment, in this place, in this doctor's office. What's it like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? What does it look like? What's going on with the people? What, what am I hearing? So we can't concentrate and we can't really feel our lives right here and right now if we're, we're pulled by the nose by our minds with all of the stories and evaluations that, that it wants to tell about you know, this evil doctor that you know, can't even get a schedule straight so that you, the most important person in the world, can be seen as soon as you walk in the door. Right? So that whole story is unfolding and we're missing what's actually happening and how we're feeling. And that's, that brings a kind of wholeness. No matter what the situation is, there is a kind of wholeness that happens when we're able to allow the mind to settle into what is true in this very moment. And usually whatever our minds is telling us is not what's true. Can there be concentration without mindfulness and mindfulness without concentration? They're two separate, or they work in, ten, they work in tandem, I mean. So tell me what the source of that curiosity is. Well, the Buddha distinguishes, there are only eight things in the path and there are two things that you could almost say are one or similar to the other, mm -hmm. but he distinguishes between these two things, so they must be very important in the Eightfold Path. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm just wondering, does concentration lead me into an, an entryway into mindfulness, would you say? Yeah, I would say that if, because in the beginning, the mind needs some discipline. But you can also simply stay with concentration, with just that one object, whatever that object is. And, you know, this conversation can get much deeper into different states and, and all of that. But if we just want to stay with concentration and mindfulness, it's very difficult to be faithfully mindful if the mind is too scattered. So it needs a degree of, some degree of concentration. Sometimes mindfulness can bring concentration. So just paying attention in the present moment to what is arising and passing away can also bring concentration because what is arising and passing away becomes the object. Do you understand? I think so. Thank okay. you. Thank you. So, in the beginning, I think it's very helpful to have the breath or whatever object you would like. Some people use a candle, some people use a mantra, some people, you know, you can use whatever you want as the object. You can use a, a beautiful picture of the Buddha or of Kuan Yin or something that really moves your heart, opens your heart. But use that one thing to just allow the mind to settle. Our minds are crazy, have you noticed? Yeah, yeah. They're nuts, really, right? If you really pay attention to what the mind is telling you, you can't believe it. It's embarrassing, you know, really embarrassing. So um, 
you know, a teacher of mine once said on, on a long retreat, I said, my mind's absolutely driving me nuts. You know, it's having this thought that I, I just can't even believe that it's having this thought. And he said, don't worry about it. Just decide that it's your neighbor's thought. <laughs> and it was so helpful. It was like, oh, I don't need to pay attention to that. But so, I don't know why I said that, but um, so you, the, the mind is crazy. So you, you want to start with some, in the beginning at least, with some concentrated active, concentrating activity. Once you have found that kind of rhythm of the mind's ability to clear, to clear not, and I'm not saying clear of thoughts, but just to become somewhat clearer and somewhat more still, then you can start with mindful, with just being aware of moment to moment arising and passing away. But it's very helpful in the, in the beginning. And you can also stay just with concentration because the, that concentration will become mindfulness. So they become, they're, they're interactive and they're um, siblings. That's what I want to know. Thank you. You're welcome. Thinking of them as siblings, that's very helpful, I think. Because okay. he distinguished between those two things, so they must both be very important in their but, own way. Yeah, but you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> you, you know, really, I, I, and I'm being really serious about that, don't worry about it, because that's, a, that's just your mind taking you into a whole other uh, story that will bring you into doubt. Am I doing it right? Oh my God, my mind isn't concentrated. Why isn't it concentrated? She said I'd be concentrated by now. I'm not concentrated. What's wrong with me? Everybody else looks concentrated. It must be me. Oh, maybe I don't understand concentration, right? So if, you, if you're just really faithful to the practice where you're just paying attention, whether it's to moment to moment arising or simply to one object, to be really faithful to that. And, and notice whatever frustration is arising because you're not getting concentrated or you're not, the mind isn't staying on the object, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. And eventually, it's a training, right? It's not something that you're going to sit down and in a week it's going to all be perfect. As a matter of fact, in 42 years, it's not been perfect for me, right? It's... There have been moments, but, you know, usually, you know, because of daily life and all the stuff that's going on, I sit down and I start to meditate and, you know, oh, what's going to happen there? Oh, I need to do that. I need to remember that. I come back. Oh, what about this? Oh, I come back. Well, oh, what about that? Oh, you forgot to do that. Bad girl. Oh, it's okay. Come back. Right? In, out, in, out, or rising, falling, whatever it is. And it's training the mind. And whether you, and you'll notice whether, for you, what allows you to dive into those waves down beneath the, into the ocean beneath the waves, you'll notice what that is. And you'll be able to strengthen the muscles more and more as time goes on. Thank you. You can have faith in that. Thank you. Hi. I was just thinking when you were talking about um, about this, about the doctor's office, and in real time, I always say that it's not, 
that kind of going back to the breath and then when in the doctor's office and the awareness that of what's really happening in that moment how do you pull it into the moment when you can be calm about the fact that you're waiting it's not working out I mean how does it fit in the what happens in that moment well have you noticed that when you sit here and you just watch the breath or whatever it is you're paying attention to that something happens that calmness arrives so I'm not making myself calm I can't possibly make myself calm but I can pay attention and then whatever happens as a result of that happens maybe I'm paying attention and something is arising that isn't calming at all but I'm paying attention and eventually I know that the heart will come to rest even though there may be thoughts that are arising that are not so restful or there's a situation that's tugging on my awareness that's not so calm but there is again the, that diving under the waves that the agitated mind is going along but if I'm, if I'm under the waves of that agitated mind eventually what, what arrives is a sense of peace and stillness even in the midst of the storm so I'm not getting rid of the storm and I'm not trying to make that happen if I'm trying to make that happen, I'm really agitated, ironically, right? I'm trying to be calm. Why can't I be calm? For crying out loud, Gina, calm yourself down. That's not going to get me calm. But being here, being present with the agitated state of mind is. And I'm, as long as I'm not doing it to get calm, <laughs> right? So it's very tricky because we can be meditating because we can't stand what's going on, right? And we think, I'll sit and everything will feel okay, right? Well, that's not going to do it. But I can sit and actually feel the agitation. So if I'm restless and I'm agitated, what does that feel like? And what's the story in the mind that keeps it moving, right? Oh, look at that. And can I actually be aware of that without thinking, without preferring this calmness over the agitation? The minute I prefer the calmness over the agitation, the calmness is out of reach. But I can be calm in the midst of the agitation if I'm willing to allow it its journey. The agitation, I will, if I really pay attention, I'm noticing that the agitation is coming and it's going and it may quickly return. But, I, but if I'm really paying attention, I'll notice its journey because nothing, nothing, nothing stays the same. Everything is constantly changing at a clip that our everyday minds have no idea about, right? So, so we're paying attention to really understand the nature, the texture, the nature, the fabric of life, 
not to make it be a particular way. Because we don't, we, we, good luck with that anyway, right? We've noticed, right? After we've, when we've got to a certain age, we've noticed, oh, not in control. So we just do the best we can and we pay attention to what's true right now. And that builds our capacity to, uh, to be present for what's true and to, for the mind to not become so agitated when what's true is not what we would prefer. So if the mind can stay uh, unagitated, even when we're receiving experience that is not our preference, a kind of wisdom can emerge. It's really interesting how, how the, you know, these pathways are all interwoven. So this wisdom that emerges, emerges because the mind is clear. It's clear because we're not allowing the agitation to be the main feature of the moment. What we're allowing to be the main feature of the moment is presence with the agitation. Do you, do you get the distinction? Yeah, I mean, I think I had a little bit of a, a moment of that because I was doing loving kindness and Nepal is with me all the time. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I look at what's really happening there, talk about no control, and it's just so representative of people thinking that they're in control, but we're not. Um, so when, you know, you think about things changing, I would, you know, and I think about the loving kindness of, uh, you know, may you be free from suffering, and, and then I look at what's in front of me, and that seems like that's not going to happen for a long time. But to sort of like have a piece okay. about so, it. So loving kindness is not about making anything happen, right? Other than the heart opening in tenderness and compassion and wisdom. This heart. So the wish that, and it's a beautiful wish, that the people in Nepal are able to work and with and be as um, peaceful and as safe as is possible in the circumstances is a beautiful wish. But we should also know that these wishes that we send out into the world are not for making anything happen in the world other than this heart to, as part of the world to bring to the world a sense of care and kindness and tenderness and compassion. And that brings peace. So thank you for your questions and for bringing up Nepal because I was hoping to, at the end of this uh, session, which is here now, um, to just do a small loving-kindness um, practice And we do this loving-kindness practice 
Thank you, Nico, for the reminder that we're not in control, right? That what happens is so much part of our wisdom is the understanding that everything that happens is dependent on something else, that nothing arises independently that our actions have consequences, that our words have consequences, and that we are all here as a result of all of the causes and conditions that have gone before. And knowing that, that we are tied together in this beautiful fabric of humanity not just here in New York, but in the state, in the country, on the continent, and beyond this continent to all the other continents, and that we are irrevocably and inexorably tied together in this beautiful web of human dignity and kindness no matter what the circumstances. And so the people in Nepal who are not far away, they're right here in this room. The people in Maryland who are rioting and subjected to rioting and people all over this world who are sick people all over this world who are subjected to terrible indignity, injustice, sadness, loss, pain. The suffering of humanity is all of ours. And so it's like a giant body that when a hand or a finger or a toe or an eye is harmed, a whole body feels it. And we contemplate what it means to take on a human body and the difficulties that come as well as the beauty. And so we send out our loving kindness and care with deep compassion to all people suffering loss, illness, pain, indignity, injustice. And to the whole world, we put our arms around it and wish for the safety, the peace, the happiness, the health, welfare, and ease of all beings. 
So we wish all beings live in safety. All beings have mental happiness and the causes of mental happiness. All beings have physical happiness and the causes of physical happiness. And that all beings have ease with the dailiness of life, that they are not overwhelmed by what is needed. And right now you can, for yourself, visualize whoever you would like to extend your heart of kindness to, whether it's the people in Nepal, people in Maryland, people all over this country and all over this world who are suffering in untold ways to extend your care. And including yourself, this one, in that circle of love. And then all the beings in your life who may be having extraordinary circumstances of difficulty. And may there be peace, peace, peace.